Welcome to the Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. So, to me, this is a barometer of the public's level of interest in the Alec Baldwin story. And I'm absolutely interested in the Alec Baldwin story. The latest developments, which were reported by the New York Times, Dateline 613 a.m. Eastern Time today, headline What We Know About the Fatal Shooting on Alec Baldwin's New Mexico Movie Set, a report about a brand new detective's affidavit. It's a four-person byline. It includes Glenn Thrush, who I think of in a very political context. He's a D.C. correspondent for The New York Times. My point is they're throwing the kitchen sink, not just The Times, but a whole variety of news outlets, because I think we all want to know. As The Times says, how did a gun that contained a fatal projectile get into the hands of an actor who believed it was safe? And and I respond with some degree of sophistication, but not much. How did a projectile that could kill you even get on the set? This is the aforementioned Glenn Thrush from the New York Times. Hey, Glenn, thank you so much for coming back to the program. Hey, Michael, good to talk to you. There's a lot going on in D.C. Of course, we're all focused on the the, uh, you know, the buyback program and how they'll fund it and so on and so forth. But this is what people are buzzing about. Right. We're all totally caught on this story. Well, I mean, it's an extraordinary story. And, you know, one of the reasons that I'm uh, I have been I am part of the kitchen sink. (laughs) (laughs) I should tell you about I'm amused by this because my father was a contractor who actually Michael, installed kitchen sinks. Is that true? But the, um, <laughs> that is totally true for Sears. <clears throat> but no, uh, the reason I'm, uh, I'm on this is because I cover guns. <clears throat> uh, that's, uh, that's something I've been cover, covering uh, lately. And I have to say, I mean, it, precisely the way you described it, it's just, it's befuddling. And, you know, it, it is almost, it, it, it's a meta story because, it is an extraordinary mystery. And, you know, part of the element of this that we were chasing last week that we subsequently reported, the L.A. Times was out in front on this stuff, is, uh, you know, that this was a, a troubled set. You know, you had one of the dynamics, and it came out in the affidavit last night, was you had significant labor unrest. You had a whole bunch of camera operators walk off the set on the day that Baldwin got got shot. So, so there's just a ton of elements swirling around here and a lot of uncertainty. So I separate certain of those labor-related issues as reported from, and your story today contains this, the two yes. accidental gun discharges that took place on October 16. In other words, there was a history of issues with, for what I'll loosely describe as, weapons on this very set. Well, it appears, you know, one of the things that it sort of highlighted, and and we were confronting this late Friday night when the first search warrant affidavit came out, in which it was disclosed that David Halls, the assistant director on the set, uh, shouted, cold gun, before he handed the the gun and the belt to Baldwin. Um, There wasn't even agreement uh, on what cold gun means on a set. I had spoken to a union representative and sort of a longtime armorer on sets who told me cold guns categorically meant that it was empty, that it didn't even have a blank or dummy rounds in it. Other armorers have interpreted it as as meaning that they had inert charges in them or just blanks. 
So it, it, it illustrated this entire sub world in which even the basic terms and procedures have not been, been laid out, but it, it definitely seems as if some fundamental chain of custody was violated by this assistant director picking up this gun off a train, handing it directly to Baldwin. Glenn, when I'm talking about typical gun control issues like an assault weapon, the assault weapons ban, I know that I have to be so careful with my language or yeah. I'll get phone calls from people who will say, that's not even an assault weapon that you're talking about. So I get that there's a, a whole semantic aspect to this. Let me ask it this way. Do we know what the projectile was? Do we know what came out of the gun? We do not. And, 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 but whatever it was, it had enough uh, density and force to injure two people. It appears that there was only one projectile fired. Uh, and it significantly injured two people. It, it went into the to the director of photography first, and then hit the director, Joel Sousa. I mean, one of the really striking parts of the affidavit, tragic parts of the affidavit last night, is the revelation that the uh, the cinematographer Helena Hutchins uh, clutched her stomach, and as she was really kind of understanding the severity of her injury started to lose sensation in her legs. And she was, you know, she was, according to, to the Santa Fe police sheriff's department, rather uh, was conscious throughout all this stuff. So this was an absolutely mm. horror show, uh, an absolutely heart rending scene. And Baldwin was apparently uh, practicing this maneuver. Uh, I guess it's called a, a, a cross draw where he's pulling the gun out from the opposite side with his right hand from the left side as he's sitting on this church pew in this old uh, church house in, in this resort outside of Santa Fe. And uh, the director, Joel Souza, who's quoted directly in this affidavit, talks about hearing a whipping sound and then an explosion and then feeling the sensation in his arm. It's an absolutely horrific scene. Is it possible that it was a bullet in a conventional sense? Nobody knows, and, and, you know, I don't want to speculate, and we've been extraordinarily careful not to speculate about this. The, the one thing that I will say is that in this affidavit, there seems to have been a line of inquiry by the, by the department, by the sheriff's department, uh, insofar as to determine whether or not there was, quote, quote animosity on the set. Uh, and, in, and in this particular affidavit, which was really the second uh, request to search uh, this property and, and the property uh, owned by the production company, they're careful to say that there was no apparent animosity on the set. But it was clearly a, a question that investigators were asking. I, I just don't think that information is available yet. Um, as of late last night, I haven't checked this morning, um, the Sheriff's Department was due to have a press conference, their first major press conference on, on this since the shooting took place last Thursday. With regard to chain of custody, do we know for sure that it was David Halls, the assistant director, who was the person that handed it to Alec Baldwin with the words cold gun? Yes, that, that was, that that was what that much we know very clearly from the first. That rem so there are two pretty much all of the reporting on the specifics of this case is coming from two documents. And both of them are the affidavits uh, presented by the sheriff's department to get search warrants. The first came out on Friday night, and that was the one 
that described essentially this 24-year-old armorer who is believed uh, who is believed not to be a member of the union uh, that uh, typically does this, which, by the way, is not especially unusual. On small budget sets, it's not all that uncommon to have a mixture of, of, of union and non-unionized workers. But apparently she laid a series of weapons on a gray tray adjacent to the set. The assistant director, David Halls, who's also a character actor, has been in a lot of films, um, walked over, yelled, cold gun, which is procedure, and handed it to Mr. Baldwin, who uh, who uh, then sat on the pew, presumably, and uh, started to practice while the camera was facing him. And the director and the, and the uh, director of photography were really setting up the shot along with the cameraman. And the cameraman is also quoted in the second affidavit that was released uh, last, late last night. And, and this is the one that the second affidavit is the more detailed description of precisely what happened because it quotes Joel Souza, the director, uh, extensively describing the scene. Does it quote Alec Baldwin? No. Uh, um, the, the only references to Baldwin uh, by the investigators uh, r- really almost d- sort of discuss uh, sort of discuss his sense of shock and the fact that he did this. The, 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 and I'm, again, I'm not looking at the affidavit right now, so I don't know the precise languages, but the strong suggestion is he had no sense whatsoever that this weapon was loaded and was shocked. There was a really, again, another really poignant detail that came out in the affidavit on Friday night, and that is Baldwin was was wearing this Western gear, and and I'm sure most of your listeners have seen these pictures of him sort of talking on a cell phone uh, outside the set wearing his his gear. Right, right. But So it talks about him removing it and getting into street clothes and then turning the clothing over to investigators. And then the sheriff's department very dryly notes at the bottom of the affidavit that it was spattered with blood. Wow. So if David Halls, the assistant director, is the one who handed Baldwin the firearm, the weapon, the prop, whatever I should be saying, do we know that it was the film's armorer, Hannah Gutierrez Reed, who loaded it with whatever was in it? We don't. None of the affidavits <clears throat> have say who spoken specifically it. about anything prior. So, so again, just to kind of to recap what we know, it's these two affidavits, yeah. and they really essentially cover the moment from which the gun was taken off the tray to the aftermath of the shooting. Everything before that, which is which one presumes is the purpose of this investigation and the two search warrants, right? Nothing like. Nothing involving those specific details have yet to be uh, outlined by the Santa Fe Sheriff's Department. And and they, they seem to be at the moment uh, operating a fairly unleaky ship. We're not seeing a lot of internal reporting either through us or other outlets on what the on what the speculation should be. It's actually in that regard. It's not very much like a Washington story. There does not seem to be a lot of. Uh, speculation swirling around exactly how this happened. And and finally, and Glenn, thank you for being so gracious with your time. Relative to what yeah. Baldwin has said, is it only through his Twitter feed that he has spoken? Yeah, it's only through his Twitter feed and, again, through sort of the articulations in these affidavits. And, um, I mean, the reporting <clears throat> against what we've done, but I've also seen it amplified in other outlets, he, apparently he's, he is understandably inconsolable. Um, 
The other interesting aspect about this, and again, it's it's um, I view this more as a parallel storyline than an intersecting one. I just want to make that very clear. But it does, at the very least, it does shine a spotlight on on sort of the difference between perhaps the difference between these large budget uh, productions um, that seem to have a higher level of supervision <clears throat> and certainly have enough uh, have enough money to to sort of create levels of duplication uh, and these smaller budget films, um, particularly ones that are being produced in the pandemic, uh, you just see, and in conversations with, with union officials and, and uh, people in the industry over the last couple of days, there does seem to be, just in terms of a worker, so forget sort of the gun aspect of this, in a worker safety context, I think this is certainly going to be a case that uh, – that is going to prompt either at the state level or the federal level a reexamination of safety on these sets. Yeah, for sure. Well, that was well told for what we know at this moment, and I'm really appreciative. So, Glenn Thrush, thank you so much from the New York Times for dropping by to shed some light. Great talking to you. Bill, you're in Los Angeles. Do tell. First of all, what do you do for a living? Hey, Michael. I'm an actor, and uh, I'm a cult actor. I work in horror and thrillers, so I've had a lot of experience with firearms and weapons. Perfect. So take your time and explain what's the drill normally. Um, To have a union armor. I will, because I've seen close calls happen before in lower budget sets, and all my work is low budget, I won't work with a non-union armor anymore. And the reason is that the packing, the wadding, I think you're correct about the wadding, not being a projectile, but it being wadding. The packing of that wadding is not a science. Uh, It's an art. You can't learn it from YouTube. There's no set formula. You need a set of hands and a set of eyes that know exactly how much force is needed and how much wadding. Uh, For that reason, I won't work with a non-union armor, and I won't work without having a safety check on every gun for every take. It's laborious, but that's the best practice is before every take with every gun i want to get checked out with that armor even if i've handed it over to props the take before i haven't personally seen the chain of custody on that weapon and you're right and that you do have to point it at people and you have to point it at the camera how many times in a movie role have you had a gun pointed and fired at you Many times, numerous times, over and over, but I'm involved in the safety meeting before, and I handle that weapon. I look at it. Um, I see whether there's a firing pin. I talk to the person who's loaded it. Again, you you can't do these things without taking a lot of time to do them, and a lot of times on a lower-budget set, they don't want to take the time, but you have to do them because it's uh, it's always dangerous. You heard Glenn Thrush from the New York Times, who is on their coverage of this story, wondering yeah. if there'll be some some standards now imposed as a result of this tragedy. It sounds like that's where it's headed. What do you think is needed so that the low budget and the very well-funded are playing by the same rules? I hope so. Um, you can't force everyone to hire a union armor. So what you're going to have to do is to come outside uh, legislatively and have maybe some OSHA standards, something that gives you the equivalent of a union armor. But you can't have someone coming in who has talked to someone who's done this or looked at videos on YouTube or done it once. It's, it's, Michael, it's like being operated on. I want a surgeon who has done this a lot 
because right. there's intuition involved. It's an art. Yeah. The wadding. Can you speak with any more specificity? What What is the wadding? What is that really? You are now beyond my pay grade. Okay. But I know, right. I know that I know that it dissipates in the air before it reaches its target, and that dissipation is a function of the force that's behind it and the density of the wadding. So here's what I'm learning from Bill. I'm learning from Bill, who's been in, in many horror films. I, I know what it feels like to have that gun pointed at me, and I want to make sure that the person who has prepared it knows what the hell they're doing. And through my experience, I've learned that on low-budget films, sometimes it's perilous. Correct. Can you name any film you've been in, just to jog my, uh, my, my head a little bit? Uh, on television, Criminal Minds, uh, Scream Queens, Abraham Lincoln versus Zombies. I do a lot of low-budget horror, man. I'm always killing or getting killed. <laughs> All right. I wish you good things. Thank you for the insight. Thank you, Michael. Bye. See, this audience never, never disappoints. Phenomenal. Never disappoints. I'm More scared f- already just listening to his voice. Bill, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Larry is in Sunland, California. Larry, you're a professional armor for movies. That is correct. How by first of all, how do I say the word armor or armorer? Armorer. We are armorer. motion picture armors. We work on television and film sets. And I just wanted to point out a couple of, of issues with some of the things that have been said uh, both Please. this morning and throughout the weekend. Yeah. Um, first of all, the modern blank, the modern theatrical blank that is used on television and movie sets is called a star crimp blank. There is no wadding in that. Let's be clear on that. Wadding in blanks like that went away decades ago, uh, with the exception of a 12-gauge blank, and they were not using 12-gauge blanks in these revolvers. Um, Secondly, we should be clear that the motion picture industry as a whole has extremely stringent guidelines for how guns are supposed to be handled, how blanks are supposed to be handled in order to prevent these kind of incidents. And if you think of all the thousands of action movies you've seen and all the millions of blank rounds that have been fired over the decades and how good that safety record is, um, we should recognize that maybe those protocols were not followed because the protocols that we have in place are more than adequate to prevent this kind of thing from happening as long as you're dealing with professional armors who do this for a living and are capable and trained and qualified to do this kind of work. So, first of all, how long have you been in this business? 21 years. And and can you approximate for me the, the number of films or TV shows, just something so that I understand who I'm dealing with? I can't even begin. I mean, I have over 60 credits on IMDb, uh, but that was just shows that I was out on the crew the whole time. Sometimes as armors were what's called day players. And in a particular 16 week movie, you might only have the armor out there for three days and then we don't necessarily get the screen credit. In addition, I'm the assistant manager at Independent Studio Services which is a professional prop house that provides firearms to the motion picture industry. And the jobs that I've worked on within the department, we don't usually don't get credit for. And those I I couldn't even begin to estimate, but definitely the thousands of projects is what we're talking about. 
so I would know some of your work. True? Absolutely. If you watch television and movies, you would know some of my work. You you comfortable identifying anything? I mean, independent studio services, you can just look it up on IMF or IMDb. Uh, We deal with NCIS series shows. We deal with CSIs. We deal with all of the major action shows like Expendables and different things like that. And the list goes on and on and on. So, Larry, what do you think, based on your experience, based on your work history, what do you think went on here? Well, again, one thing that I want to point out, this is an ongoing criminal investigation. We do not know the facts that law enforcement is dealing with right now. We should wait for the law enforcement report to come out, and then we can make judgment calls. Beyond that, I'm not going to speculate. Clearly something went wrong, uh, but we don't know as yet exactly what that was. So I think we should let... The law enforcement professionals do their job and then make the call afterwards. The the first thing that you said to me, the first substantive comment that you made to me was no wadding, that that wadding went out a long time ago. But how do we know that someone young and inexperienced didn't get that memo and instead concocted some form of wadding? Well, again, if that indeed happened, I agree with your last caller in somewhat uh, of what he said in that a wad would probably not cause this kind of damage, but it goes back to the guidelines again. If someone concocted some something, some odd blank, then they're not buying blanks and they're not renting guns from an official rental business that does this professionally. If they concoct something, that's on them at that point. It wasn't bought from an official prop house that knows how to make these things. The guidelines that you spoke of, because I sense in what you told me, you don't think there's a need for government to step in now and impose some new set of regulations. The guidelines that you spoke of previously, what's the requirement as to who has to adhere to them or not? Anyone on a set that is a prop master and or armor in this industry needs to adhere to those guidelines. They are the industry-wide guidelines. I can see a scenario uh, in the not too distant future where an an actor just doesn't want to be in a scene on the receiving end of of, of, you know, a um, a recreated gunshot. Is that a statement or a question? Just uh, just wondering aloud. I mean, if 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 I'm in a movie tomorrow, I'm I'm frankly going to be, you know, scared to death that somebody's now pointing a gun at me that heretofore I would have assumed, well, it's been checked out and it's all quite reasonable. Well, again, I think that goes back to uh, vetting the crew and the experience of the crew members that are uh, involved in this, because at that particular point, I could also say I don't feel comfortable getting into a helicopter to film a scene because who knows whether the pilot's qualified or not. Yeah. So there's all kinds of different moving parts on a movie and film set. Um, There is a very small, dedicated, highly professional group of movie individuals who deal with this kind of thing day in and day out. And those are the kind of people that should be in the positions dealing with helicopters, firearms, race cars, motorboats you know, whatever it may be. And that's where um, the the emphasis should be. 
whether someone's going to be afraid to do something like you said i don't i don't think that's a valid point because again like i said then we're not going to fly in helicopters we're not going to do scuba diving scenes we're not going to do aircraft scenes okay so listen i'm appreciative that you brought to the table your 21 years and, and 60 credits is there anything that you wanted to make sure you conveyed that i've not given you the opportunity to do The only thing would be, again, I I think it's very important that any information that gets disseminated out there be correct and factual information. Uh, Last week, for instance, a headline that I saw kind of made me cringe. It said, misfire from prop gun with blanks causes injury. Well, first of all, if you look it up in Webster's Dictionary, misfire means that the gun did not go off. So that's incorrect. Law enforcement is talking about investigating a projectile. Well, blanks do not have a projectile. So if you're blaming it on blanks, that's incorrect. So that whole headline kind of makes me wonder about its validity. So, again, ongoing investigation. Let's let the professional law enforcement people investigate what occurred. Once the official story comes out as to what occurred, then we can examine it and, and move forward from there. Well, thank you so much for all of that. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you. That's Larry from Sunland, California. As I say, this audience never, never uh, disappoints. Okay, so doesn't matter the subject. I am. Oh, you've you've already looked up Larry. <laughs> that would be Larry Zanoff. Yes. Um. So I'm I'm seeing a, looking at a picture of him right now, uh, an LA Times piece on him when he was the armorer or armorer on Django Unchained. Oh, holding my God, up really? an 1858 Remington revolvers, two of them that were used on he, the movie set. He was the guy for Django. And then there's a picture of him inside the Western Room at Independent Studio Services in Sunland, which he just made reference to. You know. Guns everywhere. Hey, if you need a gun on a movie set, this is the guy you call. He's amazing. Amazing. Larry, if talk the novel ever gets made into a movie, you're my guy. Wait, here's another one. Except there's no gunplay in the movie. You can add it. You can add it into (laughs) there. This is just, it's incredible. Django. Yeah, he, but Humble but ISS, too. the the Independent Studio Services, which is where he works. He right. is the hang on. He is the he's a master armorer and the assistant armory manager at ISS, and it's the largest independent prop house in the world. He's the man. He's, he's the man. The guy. He's the guy. He is the guy. Yeah. Okay, and and no pun intended, but the, his real message was keep your powder dry. Yeah, because we just don't uh, we just don't know. We just don't know, and he's right, obviously. The Smirconish Podcast for Independent Minds. Listen to Michael Smirconish live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com.